it seems indisputable that we're facing an ecological crisis. And there are obviously different currents within the radical left in terms of addressing it. One current within anarchism, known as anarcho-primitivism, associated with John Zerzan and Derek Jensen, argues that the only way for the planet to survive is if we go back to pre-industrial societies or even pre-agrarian societies. What do you think of that kind of thing? That's a factual claim. I mean, if they have to be right, then we have to be in favor of mass genocide on a scale that has never been contemplated. Okay, what happens to the six billion people around? They can't live in a stone age society or an agricultural society. So if that factual claim happens to be correct, we're lost. We must study politics and war so that our children may study science and engineering, so that their children may study art and poetry, then go back to school for coding and get jobs as farmers. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, Users and Reading, Industry Sabotaging Screedlers. This is Staff Only, the Podcast Studio Manager. Bring back the jogging. One more time for the people in the back. I said, bring back the jogging. Are you ready for a little bit of post-left game theory? Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 88 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Recently, I looked at the reviews of Humor in the Abject on iTunes, and I just want to say thanks so much to all of you who've given it a rating or left a comment. That's really lovely of you. It's super nice. Uh, I hadn't really read those. Uh, And somebody commented that they were citing the episodes on their bfa thesis which fucking rules if that was you let me know because i'm floored i thought that was really cool you can email me at sean at humor in the abject.com it just like really warmed my heart i don't know maybe you want to quote for your thesis paper or something probably not uh whatever uh this week on the podcast i've got my old pal new york artist joshua citarella Uh, Perhaps you know him as one of the many artists who made up the Tumblr collective The Jogging. Or maybe you've seen his weird project, uh, Compression Artifacts, about which I still have no idea as to whether any of it was real or not. Um, Or you might have seen his weird collaboration with artist Brad Trammell, Ultraviolet Production House, or UVPH, that creates, I guess, hypothetical artworks out of photoshopped commercial imagery that you can buy and assemble yourself. Well, Joshua's got a new book out, untitled parentheses, post-left politogram, and it's fucking great. You can link to an edited version of it uh, in the episode description. It's up on his website. He's got like a a partial version of the book on there. Uh, Over the course of this conversation, he schools me on the new online left comprised of evolving anarcho-primitivists. And he tells me that my usage of the term horseshoe theory is centrist horse shit. Uh, I felt a little owned, Screedlers. Uh, In the middle of the episode, there's a quick break where you will hear the first monthly sound collage lottery piece that I generated for October's winners. OK Fox and Lucia Love from the Art and Labor podcast. 
If you want a chance to win one of your own, subscribe to Human the Abject on Patreon for just three bucks a month. That's right, I've moved over to Patreon. There's also now an extremely limited Screedler Plus level, where for just ten bucks a month, you'll get an original drawing or other artwork, whatever whatever I fancy that month, uh, from me, you know, twelve times a year. Uh, there's only a few at that level available, though. So uh, if you want to get twelve pieces from me a year for next to nothing, get on it. You can sign up for either level at patreon.com slash humor in the abject that's patreon.com slash humor in the abject well i guess we should get to it right here's my thorough sometimes ridiculous and impressively lengthy conversation with joshua citarella joshua citarella welcome to humor in the abject thank you kindly for joining me today hey sean thanks for having me uh, before we get started here, I, I just wanted to say for the record, I want to go on record here and say that over a year ago, um, when I started Humor in the Abject, I made the the color profile for it black and yellow as a joke about anarcho-capitalism, specifically so that you would think it was fun. It was <laughs> pretty much just a joke for a while. Well, I did. So I want to come, I I want to come clean. And I wasn't sure, uh, I wasn't sure how widely known that thing was, but, uh, I mean, it does fit very appropriately into the kind of circular, uh, profile picture and cap ball. Um, yeah, I mean, at least, at least I appreciated it. And, and now I guess, uh, I'm, I'm certain we're going to get into them a little bit because it's kind of a fascinating (laughs) subculture. Um, so I, I would say, and you can tell me if this is fair, that I would describe what you do as an artist as um, kind of, I would say you're a highly conceptual photographer, um, not in the sense that what you're producing is really difficult to digest uh, abstract imagery, but rather that you're making layered, you know, both literally um, and figuratively photo-based work that's concerned critically with labor politics information technologies um but also like this deadpan comedy that's in there uh is is that would that be fair to say as we're moving forward so that i don't misrepresent you yeah yeah i think that's uh that's a fair description i think i mean it's uh I've definitely moved around between a few different spheres and I've collaborated a lot, which, uh, you know, expands to a number of different kind of concerns and, uh, and, and disciplines. But I think especially the, the work that I've been really engaged in for the past, I guess, maybe three years at this point for my solo stuff, um, that, that sounds like a pretty appropriate contextualization. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, you you do you make uh, sculptures, you make you do writing, you do all kinds of things like that. I feel like photography, though, is this kind of anchor point that a lot of the work circulates around, but not in the kind of. Uh, I guess that's where the conceptual part comes in. It's not just simply not simply like the lens, you and nature. <laughs> um, but a new a new book of yours, uh, untitled Post Left Politogram, just came out, uh, and it's this immersive experience of image and text. And I'm eager to talk to you about it. But first, I I did want to establish a little bit of backstory because. I feel like as I was looking through the book, it really represents like this logical milestone uh, within your specific trajectory as an image producer, um, member of these experimental internet communities, uh, and also a researcher. Um, so would it be okay if we kind of went chronologically here with you? Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, that's kind of the only way to understand it, okay. <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Cool. Um, well, what about 
Citarella Year Zero. Uh, were you born in New York? Uh, yeah, I was born in New York State, Ooh, not New York City. New York State. Yeah, so I'm from <laughs> an hour north of the city, and I moved to the city uh, to start school in, I guess it would have been 2005 or six. Okay. And, I went to the School of Visual yeah. Arts, majored in photography. I just started teaching a class in that same program this semester. Um, but I've been, I've never lived anywhere else. So I've, I've only, I only have the experience of New York and certainly a lot of the, uh, uh, the peculiar, um, uh, disparity in the allocation of resources uh-huh. that is specific to New York city and the art world. Um, well, you write what you know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Say. It's really, it's, uh, it's come out in the work. And I think those were some kind of formative experiences in my practice and, and worldview. Yeah. And that's, um, so, I mean, that's, and that's something that I've always thought was, um, pretty fun is that you're not the product of an MFA program. Is that correct? Like you, yeah, I never, I mean, I, I don't really have anything, uh, against it. I think it's, um, it's certainly, it's a, it's a hefty price. There are, (laughs) uh, European programs that one might go to, uh, to avoid (laughs) that kind of, um, uh, that that kind of hefty debt to operate under. But, I think for me, as just uh, as, as an individual choice, that I'd already had a show pretty recently after I graduated from my BFA program. So just the way that events lined up, I never ended up pursuing one. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like you you were already kind of dialed in in New York. It's almost I I don't know that I would understand what the point would be um, unless you went to some you know kind of idyllic rural location and just kind of like checked out for a little bit. Um, when when you were at SVA doing undergrad was was it pretty digital in general? I mean, I'm trying to think around that time, like the the mid aughts to like, would you graduate 2010? Is that right? Yeah, 2010. Yeah. So I remember that, you know, that shift as schools were kind of, I remember giving tours and having to tell people that, you know, we ditched our color dark room, that we didn't have like these <laughs> kinds of things. Was, uh, was it primarily digital or did you get to... Uh, work in both approaches? Uh, I think I'm, I mean, I'm one foot in one world and one foot in the Uh other. So I was kind of straddling that divide where the year that I graduated was the last year that they had colored dark rooms. Uh, I mean, I was educated in how to use a four by five and, uh, you know, I, I know all of the, um, kind of traditional darkroom techniques, Uh but I was already, I mean, at that point, I guess, I had been using Photoshop since middle school, which is essentially <laughs> as long as any of my professors yeah, had. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so, and that was, I mean, that was the case with kind of a lot of the students. So the the Photoshop class, the digital class, was kind of just a roundtable discussion of different people sharing tips because no one knew yeah. anything more than anyone else. Okay. Um, <laughs> certainly that's, I mean, that's changed in the in the last couple of years. There's been a huge, huge divide. But uh, the, the, the discourse was very different for BFA programs when I was in one. Huh, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you mentioned that you had a, a show pretty shortly after you finished your undergrad. And I, I, I would guess that's around the time that I, like a lot of people, probably first encountered your work. Um, and, and I came across it courtesy of the now infamous uh, Tumblr account that you 
co-organized with numerous other artists. Um, I'm speaking, of course, about the jogging, uh, something that I love to tweet that we ought to bring back, bring back the jogging. Um, <clears throat> but besides authoring some of the most viral posts on there, I mean, I'm thinking of, did you do the the Coors Light can and the sourdough koozie? Was that you? Yeah, yeah, yeah the baguette right. koozie. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> there's a few. I mean, I still get uh, Google alerts for that one. Um, did you have, uh, besides creating content for it, did you, I, I know it was like loosely a collective of people, but did you have any admin role in guiding its evolution or kind of what I guess ultimately became its aesthetic? Uh, that, I mean, that's an that's an interesting question. I, I Thank think you. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's the you know I went back through it uh-huh. uh, earlier this year in probably August or September, and I went through the whole thing. Shit. You know how many however many thousands of posts? Yeah, because I was preparing to teach this class at SVA, and I wanted to be able to give a summary of what the project was. Yeah. <laughs> and I went into it thinking I had an idea, uh-huh. and then watched it just progress over so many years, and I, I walked away with you know <laughs> I had I had really no understanding. I think it was. Um, you know, there's a few kind of just like material constraints uh-huh. of a lot of people produce these things quickly with relatively accessible objects. Like everyone has an iPhone and everyone has a, a, a piece of fruit or uh, kind of miscellaneous materials sure. around their house. Um, so that you can kind of, I guess, create like a, a frame around it, um, from that perspective. But then there's a ton of, and some of the things that I was trying to do was like, a add more kind of um, more objects and more environments through Photoshop rather than relying on shooting something with your mobile phone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the administrative stuff, it went through various types of um, ways to organize and it was kind of on a per project basis. Okay. But towards the end, when the blog was really churning out about like 20 posts a day, and then we were doing these IRL uh, studio or physical exhibitions, we'd kind of have like a point person okay. on individual projects. So some of them, I think you can see my hand in it a little bit more. Uh, some of them you can see kind of other people's work more apparent, but, um, I don't know. I don't know if there was any kind of, uh, kind of blanket rule to the aesthetic strategies deployed there. I'm just trying to figure, you know, I'm just trying to figure out why a couple of my posts got rejected back in the day. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> <laughs> no, but I do remember. I mean, that was a that was a different uh, that was a really different time. Um, I think on, in online uh, art production, in this way that, I mean, it was. I remember it being pretty exciting, though. Honestly, being in Portland, Oregon, and and trying to concoct something and really thinking uh, in a way more zoomed out way than I ever did in art school about audience and like how was this mm-hmm. gonna. Like I had, you know, multiple boxes that I needed to check. And I think jogging was the first time that I imagined what the artwork would feel like to people outside of an art classroom or outside of an exhibition space. And so it was really interesting to have to be nimble with that and try to try to do things that were both um, of the moment, but also maybe like evergreen so that they could keep finding audiences online sort of unintentionally. Um, And, you know, I'm mentioned earlier that your work still to this day it has um a deadpan kind of comedy I, that koozie uh baguette it, that's pretty slapstick um <laughs> but have you did you have any particular kind of formula in mind yourself as you were creating images like that or even today as you're making things are you thinking about the work as being funny or 
does this just kind of come through naturally in the way that you construct things? There's a particular type of comedy at work in, um, in jogging specifically. And, uh, I mean, I, I also collaborated with Brad, who was a, a Brad Trammell, another New York based artist who's, um, a part of jogging. Um, we, we talk a lot about comedy as this kind of, uh, road or route to articulation mm-hmm. where, uh, you'd see something, you'd counter some image online and for some reason it would elicit this immediate kind of, uh, visceral response from you in the form of laughter in this case. And you wouldn't be exactly sure as to why you laughed at uh-huh. it, but upon like a deeper critique of that, you could tease out all of these ideas and it was already kind of resonating with some kind of truth that you knew internally, but maybe had not yet vocalized. Okay. So it seemed that, um, that kind of strategy could, uh, over time kind of heighten people's critical awareness of the the world around them, mm-hmm. but could Im- immediately kind of like have all of these viral tactics and strategies around it. That was something widely shared and then had a can- kind of subtle embedded critique. It's funny as I'm listening to myself describe <laughs> this, this maps on really, really closely to uh, the kind of meme activity that the book focuses on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and certainly that like kind of those formative experiences in Tumblr of learning how you know, I mean, similar to what you had described of like, I was just a guy on Facebook kind of like making um, a post that was like a picture of my artwork and it would get a, a few likes and then putting an image onto jogging and it's like, oh, it got a hundred notes. And then you look back half an hour, it's 5,000 yeah. notes and it's a hundred thousand notes. And you're like, I, I could never have imagined as a student with a kind of conventional education that involves putting an artwork on a wall to maybe an opening of 200 people that you could have upwards of millions of views on an artwork and to do so with having such a, uh, I mean, essentially non-existent CV, Uh right. That these were (laughs) like, um, you know, and I mean, at least I, I had like kind of a a BFA education and some uh, introduction to media theory, but kind of exploring once jogging, uh, the, the Tumblr was open to submissions. When you would look into the accounts that had been contributing, it became really clear that, a lot of these Tumblr users were not yet old enough to drive, that they were Mm -hmm. kind of teenagers producing some of the funniest, most insightful content on the internet. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, I think that was probably around 2012 or so. And ever since then, I've kind of always tried to keep an ear to the ground to, uh, you know, stay apprised of like what what kind of images are circulating in these communities. Yeah, I mean, teens, they know where it's at. They're they're producing the visual culture and i mean they're they're producing the comedy that uh i think the rest of us just sort of emulate probably pretty poorly um when you look back on that period of sort of using art um or rather using the internet as this distribution model i mean i know that there were there were conversations about jogging it was both like for the lulls but it also had you know kind of embedded in it this critique of um capitalism, art market, um, privatization and these kinds of things like that. And that, uh, you know, it, it was really exciting in in this window of time. And now I wonder, do you look back on it and think, um, any differently about peer to peer production kind of subverting the gallery model? Like, did it, 
did it just get consumed or subsumed by the superstructure that it was critiquing? I mean, I guess I guess the first thing that I would have to respond with was um, there were there were different kind of uh, contingencies within jogging. Uh, so uh, you know, maybe I want to say a rough estimate of like uh, like twenty, maybe thirty different people. Uh, passed through the collaborative project while it was a Tumblr and then a, a, a physical thing. Um, and all of those people had kind of different ideas of what it was. And some of them had uh, kind of more, more strict views on what the project's engagement with IRL uh, galleries should be mm-hmm. and whether it should be kept online or not. Um, but, I mean, for the most part... I would say that uh, granted the opportunity to step into a physical space, that was always part of the objective. Okay. Um, so I didn't necessarily see those things uh, at odds with each other. And I'm sure, I mean, and yeah, you're right. There were so many personalities involved that I'm sure these micro kind of factions and things, people have differing philosophies. I mean, you have the, you know, you have the uh, green anarchist sect of jogging. You have the ego. <laughs> but it's funny how these things um, become. All of these are microcosmic examples of all of these different communities. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever feel like, you know, I guess I feel like the Deftones must feel like this. Do you ever feel like inadvertently responsible for um, letting a bunch of idiots think they could make art? <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, I love the Deftones. <laughs> so do I. I know. White like, is a perfect album. It's <laughs> unfortunate that they are. This is what I'm saying. It's unfortunate that 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 the beauty and the kind of artistic credibility of that that kind of band is, can be lumped in with other things. I'm just fucking with you here, but um, no, I. <laughs> you don't have to answer it. <laughs> um, but do you feel like the? I mean, right now is the context just such that? I mean, this this kind of moment. Do you think it could happen again that something is, I guess, kind of like overtly absurdist in a sense, like jogging could take off now? Or are we are we just are we too far gone? I think that there's been a um, a pretty big shift in the way that we use the Internet since the time of jogging and uh, since the kind of like our, our current paradigm uh, that, that you would describe as the monopolistic platform that is quarantined into cultural, political, ideological filter bubbles. Yeah. Uh, so the, the ability to reach what uh, jogging would describe as the accidental audience um, is certainly kind of has been curtailed in this process of migrating 50% of the Internet's traffic through Facebook, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's... Um, there was a different view of uh, just like what the potentials of the internet were at the time. Uh-huh. This is maybe 2012, 2013, which is really not that long Ancient ago. Ancient internet but, years, though. I mean, in yeah, a sense. yeah, certainly. But I mean, I, I recently, I, if you, you know, I kind of revisited some of the kind of like uh, the 90s cyberpunk stuff and uh, their view as to like what the, the potentials of the internet were were, I mean, really, really different even than, uh, you know, the kind of like, um, the, the early jogging period. It's not, it's not the first time that this thing has, has shifted. And I think it's important to, to make kind of a a note just in our, uh, 
you know, for, for our own kind of like mental well-being, <laughs> <laughs> where um, the kind of 2011-ish period of the events of the Arab Spring and the protests for Occupy Wall Street, that there was this kind of general, likely naive but pervasive feeling that the internet was going to be a democratic tool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, social media was a space that was, um, what, what belonged to the left, mm-hmm. right? Like social media is the people and the people are the left. And then now you kind of, you can't really encounter a story in the mainstream media that, uh, you know, talks about social media, but doesn't include the term, um, trolls yep. or foreign interference. And now it, it seems like, Oh, well, the, the social media is a tool of, of the right. And, um, it's curious how, I mean, I guess the, the kind of underlying answer for that is, um, like nothing really changed. Um, it was never actually a tool of the left to begin with. Uh, and those are, I think those are lessons that the, that the art community learned, uh, kind of early on Mm -hmm. because of the, like an interest in, in media theory generally and, um, seeing how kind of the, uh, the naive assumptions about like what many to many networks would, uh, create, for um, IRL society. Yep. I wanted to talk too about another, um, I guess, somewhat more recent collaboration that used a, in, I guess, not a super unlikely platform, but I think to a generalist art audience, you know, Etsy is um, is not a serious platform uh, in their perception, and that was Ultraviolet Production House or UVPH that um you were doing with again with the artist brad tremell and i i guess they were sort of like not yet ready-mades um <laughs> i like that the, <laughs> the idea of this was and i i'm assuming a lot of listeners are probably familiar with it but it kind of adopted the print-on-demand business model of a diy publishing site like lulu in this pursuit of uh an artistic studio production kind of avenue that negates the need for physical studio space or uh, debt incurred from fabrication or storage. Um, when did that conversation start? And did uh, how, how seriously did collectors take it? Were you selling these kind of concepts on Etsy? I mean, the really, uh, the really kind of fascinating thing about Etsy is that it's uh, totally transparent for its stores. So you could actually, while the site was up, it's, it's been, we've been banned. I think it was like the seventh time that we got taken down. What? We just, we had, <laughs> we, yeah, Why? eventually we just had to move Why? it off. Cause it's, it's, I mean, we were kind of skating around some of the terms of service the term and that you had to have physical products or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something like uh-huh. that. But there's always kind of, you know, uh, so much of it is bespoke and kind of, um, made to order that, uh, who's to say that those know, existed already. Like there's a prototype. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There'd be a prototype exactly. and then you would make it when somebody ordered it. I don't right. understand what well, the, the, okay, well, yeah. Right, so. Yeah. I mean, we, we got shadow banned for a little while too, <laughs> but that, I mean, it's, wait, so like yeah, you didn't they, know that people couldn't see your, like you were live, but nobody could see it. Oh no, we, we knew they, they told us pretty early on, but it was, I mean, all of the, all of the traffic was really, um, through our social media accounts. So, you know, people, people were, it was very rare. Right. We only had in, I want to say, you. <laughs> yeah, from that scene. uh, and we made, oh geez, I don't remember. I think it was maybe like, it was something like a hundred to 200 different sales. Uh-huh. Right. But so I, I started on this whole thing cause, uh, Etsy had a chronological, 
um, order of like all of the various products ordered from this store and what the prices were. So that kind of transparency for collecting fine artworks was uh, a pretty, pretty interesting data set to have public (laughs) available. Um, But we only in all of that time, we only had one person who ordered something and then didn't understand that it was an art project (laughs) or like the, you know, um, and that was, it was a $20 purchase. We just refunded it to them. So yeah, it wasn't too big of a deal. I guess we, I guess, um, we should sort of explain here. Cause like I said, I assume a lot of people are familiar with it, but if they aren't, you would create these kind of, you would create composite imagery based on existing photography, like stock photography and product photography of, let's say like a hypothetical sculpture. Um, they always had these kind of like tongue in cheek, uh, the aspects to them i remember one was a it was a tent that you could suspend outside of your lower east side apartment like off of the fire escape so you could airbnb the apartment out to cover your rent but still sort of live yeah, there like yeah. that, there was a couch that was crust punk <laughs> a patch and yeah, like yeah. things like that <laughs> um so th- there was kind of this like conceptual aspect to it but was the i mean could you have made every single thing that was on it like did you account for that or was it just kind of like well if somebody orders this what i guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it that's i mean in the in the beginning we were really litigious about (laughs) um like okay so if somebody orders this off the site we had a step-by-step tutorial we had all of the materials pre-sourced uh we'd have kind of an amazon wish list that was a standing order as soon as person buys us off of Etsy. We ship them the materials. Here's the instructions of how to make it. Um, and then uh, towards the, the end of it, cause we probably worked on it for, I want to say maybe like two years or so, mm. uh, overlapping with other, uh, individual product projects for both of us. Um, we started to kind of realize, uh, how much, how much it was driving, um, or sorry, how much of the kind of content aspect uh, had interest and that when people were, wanted to kind of uh, remunerate us for our, our labor, they weren't really sure which piece to buy. Uh-huh. Um, but they were, you know, constantly liking something or they'd send a message like, um, I want to support you guys. What piece should I should I buy? Uh, but realizing that we had a kind of a very large engagement, we, I think at the, at the peak of this thing, we would reach kind of routinely upwards from a, a, a million users and, and at least like one piece really? a week. Yeah, Jesus. yeah. I mean, it really, it really flew off because it was. I mean, it was such a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre, bizarre you project got, in the first were, place. They were like, "Fuck these guys! <laughs> you guys are getting like the yeah. most views and stuff." <laughs> yeah. Well, the, that oh. was. I mean, that was kind of the reason why Etsy kept us around yeah, is yeah, because yeah. we were getting a huge amount of traffic and we were selling work, so they didn't want to shut you were off their the, the town. Yeah, they couldn't. <laughs> you became bulletproof for for a while. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> But I mean, at the at the end of it, um, we really realized, and I think this is where it was really liberating. Where because the the kind of pricing model for this thing was just double the materials cost. Yeah. Like that was the cost of our air quotes authorship on these materials. Mm-hmm. But we could really work with anything that was available for purchase on the internet. Right, because you don't you you need storage. Like your all of your exactly. everything that you have is already ready, and you can probably prime it to somebody. I guess. Right. Right. Exactly. Amazon Prime <laughs> is already. Uh, covering the overhead of, of our storage. <laughs> Shipping we and kind of, storage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For fifty nine yeah. ninety nine a year or whatever. That's a... Yeah. Huh. Well, we were we were trying to like uh, make something that didn't require artists to go into debt yeah. and reverse yeah. some of these power dynamics where the, the collector is kind of holding all the bargaining chips. 
and we were trying to, uh, you know, like, uh, kind of the part of the gesture of, uh, <laughs> inviting the collector mm-hmm. to piece together the work themselves <laughs> is to realize some of the labor and the trial and error that artists go yeah. through. And maybe if they botch the fabrication, they have to buy a new yeah. one. Like, was there, these was are, there an avenue though, where they could hire you to come do it? Like you, you guys we would had, come and build it for them, but it costs more. We played with a few different uh, kind of business, but we were, I guess we were going to pivot. <laughs> we're going to pivot. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> but uh, that, that's, um, we were talking about that for a while uh, after the, um, the physical UV show at Bahamas Biennale in Detroit. Right, yeah. But eventually um, that, that just turned into the kind of subscription model okay. of, uh, yeah, people people paying for daily content, yeah. which seemed to be kind of the insight we gleamed from people not knowing how to remunerate uh, an author who was constantly producing works, and they didn't want an individual kind of yeah, yeah. souvenir or memento from it. They just wanted to help support and see the content on a daily basis. Interesting. Yeah. Um, would you tell me a little bit about that show that was that was in Detroit, right? At Bahamas Biennale. Yes. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, Sean. Other Sean, yeah, Sean you guys had, had worked together previously. Yeah, Is that right? yeah, I did a. He used to be in uh, Milwaukee, and I did a mm-hmm. solo show there in like 2013. And then he had an outpost in McQuanago, Wisconsin, which I think is his yeah. hometown. Yep. And I curated uh, mm-hmm. Art Basel McQuanago in. I, I oh think it was right, like right. 2015. I don't remember. It was <laughs> open the same day as Art Basel Miami, um, and it was a nice. group show, but. A lot of competition for those days. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, God, getting the collect. I mean, they're counting. I had to get to them early. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> the collector <laughs> class in McQuanago. Yeah. Um, but what, um, what, what works did you put in Detroit, and how did you kind of edit? Was it just a practical thing? Like this is something we can actually build, or how did you, how did you go about fabricating the things? Uh, we, I mean, we actually did quite a, a bit of um, kind of like research and planning ahead. We took three months to work on physically assembling the show. We flew out there before, uh, before the gallery was even finished being renovated because there was a pretty, I mean, it was pretty high stakes for a project like this that no one had ever physically seen, or most people had never seen the works physically Uh assembled. Uh, so we really wanted to, you know, show that these things were possible. This was the burden of proof. And if we could get a really good looking prototype, then people would buy them online and we'd be able to pay our rent, you know? I mean, this was really a project born out of uh, a pretty desperate straits financially. Like the, the art market at that point had totally bottomed mm-hmm. out. And uh, yeah, this was, um, <laughs> we were, we, we really put, put just about everything. I'm surprised that our friendship survived certain <laughs> aspects of that trip because we, we must've been on like three hours of sleep a night. Oh, for I think I ran things. into you guys in Bushwick with Sean Yes. Like you oh, had right. been up yeah. for like two or three days and you were going to drive to Detroit like that day. Yeah, and I was yeah. just like, I think I was going to work. It was like eight o'clock in the morning and you guys just looked yep. like shit. <laughs> no, I'm sorry to say that, but you guys looked insane. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? And you're like, we're about to drive to Detroit. And I was like, okay, well, uh, stop off in Ohio, please. <laughs> you know, like get, yeah. <laughs> bring some coffee. Oh, yeah. A uh, friend of the pod, Carrie Dorn, wrote a really great essay mm-hmm. about UV Production House. Was that, t- I'm, I'm trying to remember if that had come out around the time of the show or if those were separate kind of entities? Uh, it had, I think it came out a few months after the, after show, the show, but it had okay. been, um, we had uh, 
we had known that it was it was being written and we had kind of discussed the project while we were producing the show as well um did you find that uh was was the show proof of concept i mean were people convinced or how did it (laughs) did it go (laughs) uh i mean we it's 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 funny because uh what what we had kind of been um this is a leftist podcast so you have to tell me yeah (laughs) i don't really care if you tell Um, me (laughs) i mean i don't think uh it wasn't i mean really kind of like after that um we had already been talking about before the show opened of moving to some kind of subscription model and allowing people to uh remunerate us for producing the content okay so we archived all of the works and kind of let it be its standalone thing that could be maybe a, a model that uh, sculpture students or people making physical objects could reference in the future. Uh, but I think maybe we got a few other offers to produce the physical works. Like we went to um, to uh, the Netherlands. There's a museum called Mu M U in Eindhoven, uh, and we made an incense fence over there that was uh, maybe even a few feet bigger than the one oh, that we made. <laughs> Detroit. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty wild. Uh you'll find once um surprisingly, at least surprising surprising to us, uh a country that has um a, a national health care plan actually cares quite a bit about what kind of <laughs> Oh, I just gave away the fact okay shit. Oh no. Okay, wait, no, hold on. I'll i I'll do like a I'll I'll have beeped that. I'll beep that. It's a really good uh it's a it's it's a really good story, but um <laughs> Yeah, we used it because people would always ask, like, how how did you make that work? Don't worry, I've, I've like, redacted it oh. already. It nobody knows. Yeah. We tell them, we, we tell them, oh, well, you just you just buy the piece and you'll get the tutorial, <laughs> then you'll know. <laughs> it was like it was kind of like a perfect like one too, but yeah, yeah, maybe I shouldn't. I just leave them. Yeah, yeah, that. that's, that's fine. Uh, um, but that's interesting because the I mean the kind of the idea of years later doing this kind of artistic practice that presents these concepts or these ideas as like a sustained type of practice was really kind of, you know, from my understanding as an outsider, um, an occasional like posting participant was that was kind of like what the idea of jogging was just as like a conceptual framework was this like constant production that had to do with like releasing things and making culture and creating content without this kind of like obsession with you know this big bulky piece that I made am I going to be able to turn around and sell it or do I have to pay for storage and trying to increasingly explore these alternative models as I think you know something that is in a lot of your practice is this kind of both conscious and subconscious response to the precarity of labor in like a gig economy in that you are an artist that a lot of people know about, but you kind of make no bones about, you know, the fact that you, you do have to teach and a lot of the, a lot of your stuff a while ago was related to your commercial photo retouching jobs um, and kind of work that you were pulling out of those things. And, you know, I, I wonder because so many people are really cryptic about, um, about their labor in the art world, um, either because they have some warped perception that people will think less seriously of them because it's not, I'm sorry, it's not a warped perception, but because they work in the service industry and they don't want to be known as that. Um, 
but or or they just don't tell anybody because they won the general uh, generational wealth lottery. <laughs> so, but there's but you know it's it's this kind of thing that people sort of you know we're always saying oh well we should be more clear about it. But I, I you've been pretty open about that. I, I wonder if that's like is that important to you to kind of communicate that? I mean I, I would say casually I would think of you as like a pretty well known artist. Um, you know I it's. It's nice to to hear that, but uh, <laughs> I mean the the reality of my of my life. Is, I mean, while I made this the first piece that's um, that's in this book, I mean, I was working um, a, a, like full time schedule doing five days a week that was split between three different freelance employers. So uh, any kind of um, you know level of, uh, of, of notoriety or whatnot <laughs> you have in the art world is pretty pretty quickly kind of leveled off yeah. by it's like well, gotta, gotta get up and go to work and still don't have uh, health insurance or, uh-huh. or whatever. Um, I think that the, the experience of, um, going through a little bit of like a market boom in the early years and then, um, realizing like how, what, what tiny, uh, fraction of wealth redistribution would make a profound material difference in my life and allow me to have the, uh, space and resources to, to explore these things. Um, that, that really kind of, uh, kind of shapes you, you know, I think, um, it just, it gives you, it gives you a grounding to kind of like leverage these, these arguments off of. Well, I want to, well, you kind of hinted at though, and I, so let's talk about this. I want to talk, the piece that you just referenced, are you talking about the, um, you showed it with, uh, Carol Fletcher at the Armory show too. Is that right? So, um, right, right. now do I say swim when I say the title or do I say S W I M so that do I say swim? Uh, people say, Okay, so it's yeah. called Swim a few years from now, and that's uh, it's this twelve foot by eight foot triptych, um, kind of composite photograph that you've made. And Swim, if I'm understanding correctly, it stands for um, someone who isn't me. Like you use that on an internet forum, right? And then, but yeah. also there's this kind of um, it seems like a double entendre nod to uh, an underwater future <laughs> because of climate change and things. Um, but um, so it's this it's this incredible kind of like almost like religious iconography image it's very big but it's a it's someone who isn't me but it's a photo of you um as this kind of like ultimate uh precarity labor parole um in your very efficient apartment would you talk about some of the imagery that's in there and what what's going on in the picture i'll i if it's cool with you i was going to use that probably for the blog post just because it's such a a great picture and also no matter how it crops it you'll be dead center (laughs) yeah yeah uh that's um i mean the so i'm just i'm just pulling up an image now you have to look Um, at it because you don't remember there's there's so many different little stories and easter eggs in this thing it's like i can't i can't fully remember like i appreciate that though that you want to look at it because you don't have some kind of insane mind that has it burned into it even though god you probably looked at that a lot I, I did for probably like three months. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and then I would do like a full day retouching and then I'd come home and I'd work on this thing that was a picture about how uh, retouching was a downward trajectory and it was <laughs> pretty demoralizing at, at a certain point. But um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the picture that we're talking about, um, Swim a few years from now, shows a kind of precarious freelance laborer who is in his uh, New York micro apartment uh, outside the window 
the city has since flooded. Goods are being carried around, uh, transported by canoe, or um, delivery boys are running across the the rooftops. Some things are transported by drones. There's a luxury Uber chopper, uh, kind of going from um, fancy uh, superstar architect buildings. But the interior of his apartment is in, uh, incredibly cramped, which is, I mean, shot in my, uh, my apartment in New York, which is, I've, I've taken a few liberties. Like we do have another, another room to sleep uh-huh. in, but, uh, the, there's a loading, there's a loading, uh, symbol on his computer where he's waiting to be pinged for the next job. And the time of day outside is not especially clear if it's, uh, maybe sunrise or sunset that he's working what's called a zero hour contract, which is, uh, you kind of get pinged, uh, the, the moment that they need you, you do a job, you clock out. Uh, this is, and it, it just looks towards a future with, um, kind of, uh, an increasingly downwards trajectory for any kind of labor regulations and the, uh, the, the, the future of, um, wor- working for a living in, in the U S especially. And there's all, this was first, uh, sorry, th- this was the first like a uh, gathering of the New York art world after the election. The Armory show was. So, yeah. yeah, the Armory show. Basel had been like right after mm-hmm. it, but the, the lead times for these things are so long that like Basel was set months in yeah, advance. Yeah. So you, you didn't really know. But this was a, a chance that people could kind of respond to the political situation. And um, <laughs> most didn't. Sure. <laughs> which yeah. Was, I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe tells you something about the art world. Well, there's an inter- I mean, it's that it's such a funny, such a funny double edged sword, right? Because if you if you make something that's overtly political in response, everybody will kind of make fun of you. Um, and you're like a hashtag resistance lib. But then if you don't say anything, then it's because you know, you're like, you're complicit or whatever. But you're kind of I like your, your piece is kind of right in the middle there. It's a little it's not I would say that piece is not reactionary, if that makes sense. Like, it's a pretty like, that's not unique that that those labor conditions uh the mechanisms to put those into order have been around a long time before donald trump was elected so yeah and i mean the reality is that they are the conditions in many other places around the Mm -hmm. world already yeah you know yeah so to to keep to keep labor costs low you're gonna have to deregulate uh and that's exactly what capital wants is people to be fighting um who's going to do the work the cheapest the privilege to do yeah. it yeah and there's kind of like this um something that i've really liked and you've always kind of had the aesthetic a little bit but it's really kind of coming in a lot i think recently is this this really interesting science fiction element to it um and a lot of that has to do also with just kind of this survivalist pod or these all these different uh what does mre stand for it's like meals ready to eat um yeah, and like weird yeah. water filtration systems and like diy kind of you know like life hacks that you might see on pinterest but actually because the, you know in this in this not so distant future we will need to be doing that um and and when you did uh and there's a companion piece to swim that's a second piece that's um a woman and she's kind of living on this uh floating city outside of san francisco and and she's sort of is she kind of like the the inverse of that laborer like she's she's in a very comfortable position but also is in this kind of like vacuum of <laughs> i guess like social interaction yeah yeah i mean i'm maybe just to uh to to back up for sure. for one second and to give a, a little bit of an intro to the the world of swim yeah, yeah. um because you're you're totally right it's, it's a lot of it is really pulled from survivalist pinterest okay. 
Um, but there's kind of a, an interesting overlap at this moment um, where so it's a, jogging and the activity on Tumblr kind of clued me in to how much of the Internet's viral content was being made by uh, teenagers, mm-hmm. essentially. And um, in the search for really detailed tutorials from uh, you know, like relatively like low skill, not specialized labor, not needing expert assistance, kind of things you can assemble yourself. Uh, searching through Pinterest led us very quickly to these kind of survivalist DIY off the grid communities. Huh. And um, what you, what I kind of uh, observed in that space, and this is at I mean the kind of the the peak moment where where fil- the idea of filter bubbles is trending. Um, that kind of, as most platforms were, it was kind of just like broadly separated into kind of two different cultural or political groups of liberal and conservative. But the the infrastructure of Pinterest specifically allowed you to see who else was pinning the content that you were following. Hmm. And what we began to observe was that there was this shared material vocabulary between these two different groups. Uh, roughly construed as the the survivalist or the doomsday prepper uh, on the conservative side and uh, the ethical consumer on the the uh-huh. liberal side. Yeah. But both groups would share uh, an interest in solar panels, uh-huh. uh, rainwater collection barrels, uh, rooftop gardens, and it seemed it, it got to the point where like if you were clicking through, you weren't sure if this link was going to lead you to some like. Uh, <laughs> libertarian uh gun toting message board or if it was going to be to some like uh you know like winter squash farming crystal Uh healing uh (laughs) group you know it 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 started to get really interesting especially in a a time when people were were describing a perceived uh divide between between groups online interesting yeah um wow yeah so i mean the the kind of the interesting kind of like underlying story for those things is that they're um while they feel that they're very different, there is a kind of um, an embedded politics in the, that material process. Like using the solar panel as kind of an easy example. Um, a solar panel is is kind of designed to sustain uh, at, at like a minimum one person in a decentralized network mm-hmm. where you can get everything self-sufficient. Um, and if you would compare that to nuclear power, which is many orders of magnitude more um, efficient in its energy production that requires a massive organization at something essentially at the state of the scale of a state, uh-huh. right? So kind of both of these, these groups of the ethical survivalist and the, uh, sorry, the ethical consumer <laughs> and the, the survivalist have already precluded that there's no way to operate, uh, at scale with any kind of progressive, vision of the future huh, yeah. um, that ultimately the, the individual is responsible for their own sur- survival or the outcome of uh the the, the fate of the world um everything is, is straddled on the, the shoulders of the individual rather than on collectivities so that that became a really kind of curious uh uh community to pull from that that really niche overlap yeah um and then that that became swim so Looking at uh, a, a, the kind of like conservative side of the internet, um, especially on Politogram, of uh, a kind of revitalized community calling for uh, massive deregulations and uh, becoming pretty deeply acquainted with 
how to put together all of these kind of survivalist uh, recipes um, really laid the foundation for for building this piece, which is kind of like a dystopian IKEA catalog of just like you know two hundred different items that you need to survive in the the, the very near future. But uh, sorry to get back to your to your question of the um, the the following piece, Swi, which is S W I Y. Someone who is you um, is a little bit maybe of uh, how the other half lives, okay. right? So they're on this kind of isolationist uh, luxury state, and then the skyline shows just kind of an ever expanding um, horizon of uh, kind of the very quick descent into uh, landlocked slums. Mm-hmm. So th- uh, th- those kind of like. Um, following those those online conservative groups and looking into um the the very large kind of secessionary contingents within them which is kind of implicit in the the libertarian um homesteading uh ideology but kind of like updated for the uh the age of the internet to be able to have like essentially a a sovereign state on a cruise ship (laughs) is quite an interesting concept They say great art is difficult to understand, but easy to enjoy. Hey, Beavis. <laughs> it's hard, but it's not like hard. <laughs> but this formal level is the most contemporary political level of Les Miserables, and this is uh, embodied by a stellar performance, not by the recent one by Anne Hathaway, who got an Oscar for her performance, but... Um, by Susan Boyle, if you remember, the rendition of the most, you know, impressive song of the musical Les Miserables, which is called I Dreamed a Dream, and it was sung on a casting show, Britain's Got Talent. And I think actually that is here that we see an unexpected aspect of Cormac X project emerge, because I Dreamed a Dream, this song is the anthem of single working moms all over the world. It's sung, no? By the father, by someone who was abandoned by the father of her child, she's left to fend for herself. She has childcare problems. No, she falls into the hands of a scammer. She becomes a prostitute, and so it's really complicated. But thus, she becomes the tragic heroine of reproductive labor in the age of devastating, effective wages, scams, catastrophes of middle-aged women who have no time to be cool because they got to do the work, they got to face the shame, they got to wipe the tears. Hola, gumboing. Cormit, meu amigo. Fos mesmo seis años? Essa deve ser sua filha. <laughs> Não, sou apenas uma amiga. Ela é minha namorada, senhora mulher. Encantado. Boss makes a dollar. I make a dime. That's why I podcast on company time. Art workers of the world. Unite. Burn the upper administrators and their development empire to the ground. 
Seize the means of the MailChimp. Sabotage the Slack channel. Change the permissions in Google Drive to Google Drive your boss crazy. If you are a gallery laborer hanging the work, put poop on the back of a painting. Carve your initials into a sculpture. Paint one of the walls with a 5% added off-white mixture to make the gallerist think they have gone mad or at least mildly colorblind. Let us grind this unregulated wheel to a halt. One minor fuck up at a time. Guillotine the gallery. Knife the non-profit. Murder the museum. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Uh, well, let's talk about the, I mean, you just mentioned Politogram, so let's talk a bit about this this publication um, that you put together, uh, Untitled Parentheses post-left politogram. And uh, for the listeners, when you say politogram, can you give a quick definition of like, what is politogram um, and who participates in it? Yeah, yeah. politogram is um, pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, uh, just political radicals on Instagram. Right. So these are accounts of all different types of ideologies, uh, not just right, left. There's, uh, I mean, you wouldn't be able to put together uh, a prefix and a suffix of like, there's kind of an infinite number of these permutations uh, on there. Um, it's, it's highly, highly individuated. You'd be hard pressed to find two two users with the same kind of political ideology. But the general general demographic data, um, my, my kind of uh, from what I've observed in that space, it's ages 12 to 17, predominantly uh, white male users. But Instagram is kind of notoriously difficult to really scrape any quantitative data from. Huh. So it's much easier to get from a platform like Facebook or, uh, I mean, um, Reddit even. But, it, but Politogram is, is, is really, really opaque because these are mostly Gen Z users and they will frequently delete their account or change their names, uh, swap over to a new account or they'll just take out all their content and like, I've updated my political views and now I'm starting over as this ideology. Uh, like I used to be, it really, the, we should all be so most, lucky to be able to do that. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's something very liberating. It's about pretty it. good. And I mean, <laughs> they're, I mean, they're, they're mostly kids in like middle school and high school. So, so there's, uh-huh. there is some degree of like, uh, LARPing in mm. it and wanting to experiment and try on new identities, but over kind of the, kind of observing the space from like 2015 to 18, um, a lot of the kind of the irony and the shit posting and the LARPing that we associated with memes early on has really gone out the window after the election and certainly after Charlottesville. That was a, a, a kind of a huge wedge driven down um, the, the center of that community of, of kids that thought that they could somehow ironically participate in, in fascism without consequences. Uh-huh. And so you, uh, the the... You know, first part of the title of the book is post-left. Um, and so who are the post-left and, and what do they believe? I mean, you you just mentioned that it, it's hard to give a, a synopsis of an overarching kind of thing. But in terms of like, you know, like versus the alt-right, like what is the post-left? Right, right. Uh, uh, just to provide a little bit of background, the term post-left comes from the um, mid to late 90s. Okay. So it's not... Um, it's not really uh, uh, discussed in, in kind of oppositionary groups. But my kind of objective for the book and, and kind of combing social media for a number of years to find 
some kind of uh, like left constituency that could compete with the impact of the alt-right on social media. Um, the group that I discovered was this interesting subculture of kind of a hybrid of different ideas that you could broadly group under this umbrella of uh, post-left or left-com. Uh, they, they kind of use a few different terms. They really hate to be categorized. But to maybe just give like a brief defi definition of the post-left, that would be um, where, where Marx says that alienation um, begins with a, the rise of um, industrial capitalism and the commodity form. The post-left argues that alienation begins even earlier than that with uh, the dawn of agrarian societies and labor specialization. Oh, so they're kind Ishmael. of ideal. Yeah, I remember. I had to read that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah the big fan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of odd because um, on Politogram specifically, I should mention that, that Instagram of all of these platforms seems to skew the youngest. And because it's so difficult to scrape this data um, it was really like the wild west for a while. Like the content that these kids could post was, uh, you would think that you were on the dark web. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> I know, I know it's, it sounds, it sounds crazy. Dark but, um, Instagram. That's... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the most like popular uh -huh, platforms, yeah, yeah. but, um, I mean the bigger accounts use hashtags, you know, there's some people that have, um, you know, maybe maybe 10,000 10, mm -hmm. followers is kind of the limit to it. Most of them try to keep it like around a thousand. But once you get too big and you start doing like sponsored posts or you have, you know, a 50 to a hundred thousand followers, like they, they don't trust you anymore. You're not part of the actual uh -huh. community. You're not doing, doing their discourse. So they don't, now many of the accounts are private because all of this stuff has been really kind of like, um, clamped down. And, uh, especially after the election when people realize that like, Oh, actually, uh, teenagers memes are having a pretty big impact on public discourse and uh the assumed president uh, just a few months prior releases a statement disavowing a cartoon frog like th those are kind of cultural anomalies yeah. that are not really part of the plan of how this this internet of the arab spring and occupy wall yeah. street and obama's first campaign of engaging record numbers of millennials like that wasn't how the internet was really supposed to pan out right so it took people kind of a long to respond to it That's... yeah but sorry for, for just like uh for, for tracking these things and trying to do trend forecasting yeah. or, or observing it it's very very difficult because they won't use any kind of um they won't like they're ostensibly recruiting for an ideology mm -hmm. but they don't promote their account or use hashtags or facilitate large-scale engagement Got it. and is it kind of so i mean are these um through your research and looking at this this kind of phenomenon, I mean, are are this schism that you talked about, kind of post um, maybe Charlottesville? Did did was this something where you know there were these people who were kind of shit posting, and you know they're very they're very ironic and things like that, and then you know obviously this line kind of gets drawn in the sand. And is it was I understanding correctly as I read through that it seems like. Um, this kind of trajectory for somebody who you might say kind of has this like post left mentality might be that that person was 
maybe like raised in a liberal family was shit posting but was actually probably politically pretty leftist um but then like it kind of seems like they get like green pilled into this like anti-agrarian society thing to like the end the end result because these are kids who's like their politics are forming. And so it makes sense that they kind of change. I mean, adults only don't because we have to like pretend like we have this kind of like static moral compass. Um, And then kind of the end result is like getting what is like black pilled, which is just like cyber nihilism. Right. It's just the kind of like logical. Uh, That's one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but the, the book collects, I mean, it's got your writing in it that kind of talks about, observing these things and how they start to influence the decisions that you're making in a lot of the recent work but you're also kind of looking at this subsect that's going on and it started as you mentioned just a little bit ago with this desire to see is there kind of this um is there like this leftist response that is as funny that is as barbed that it is as i guess organized or viral as as the right and it seemed that that wasn't happening that yeah i mean that was kind of that was what i was looking for yeah i i thought you know any kind of any kind of real uh offline movement is uh is going to be mirrored online to some extent uh-huh. and i had kind of you know being familiar with the the sense of humor that that exists on the internet like i thought uh you know where where is where is there kind of like a a left contingency using these strategies and that, that memes with their kind of ubiquitous authorship, um, that, that they should be a, that should be a tactic of the left, it seemed. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, just, just to maybe just like, um, to to clean up the timeline a little bit, uh, Charlottesville is a, um, uh, kind of a wedge for formation and, um, uh, kind of online general conservative spheres and alt-right groups. But, the real kind of like formative experiences for these guys um, in the kind of the young left online circles I was following is uh, when Bernie dropped out of the primary and then uh, it, it, the election itself. Okay. So those are the two kind of major, major, um, major uh, milestones in, in this, this arc. So previously these were, um, you know, they might make a kind of ironic shit post about, uh, you know, like being a, a Stalinist or something <laughs> like that, or being like yeah, a, yeah. I mean, maybe they're like a Leninist or they're like, um, <laughs> but they would, um, probably like, uh, you know, maybe they were, they were syndicalist, but there was a, I mean, it sounds, this sounds a bit insane to <laughs> even like open up the, the Overton window, this, this wide, but there was a general consensus that industrial society was not a problem. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So they were. You know, they, they were on the left, but they would be like a kind of like an IWW right. left. They weren't. Or like a they weren't Kaczynski's. Right. Right. Okay. Got it. And so the the kind of like the socialist great. contingency. <laughs> it's a I mean, it's it's a very curious yeah, arc. Yeah. Um, and it can move very quickly at times too, but uh, they when when um, kind of uh, Bernie. Uh, uh, drops out of the primaries, uh, the kind of socialist contingency moves much more anarchist. Mm-hmm. And then when Trump is elected, they, the kind of like anti-civ, um, eco-terrorism, uh, Unabomber type memes 
just absolutely soared. Okay. There's, a, there's a, a huge <laughs> explosion in, in that trend on uh, Politogram specifically and uh, a, a number of other platforms yeah. as well. But but my research is, is uh, closely contained in this particular uh, community and then branches out after the election as they migrate platforms. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. And they, and they have this fascination with... Uh, Okay, so they're they're not just <laughs> they're not just anti-capitalist or anti-tech. They're anti-industrialization um, and then back to agrarian and then just civilization in general, which I get I guess follows agrarian. But mm. um, yeah, so it's this kind of very primitive primitivist <laughs> sort of approach. Oh, absolutely. The, yeah, yeah, anarcho-primitivism. Okay, and so wow. Yeah. And so that's kind of what's going on in in this book is you're you're looking at these people who again, this is a really you know, kind of coming from the left group of people who there's this, you know, I guess that's what horseshoe theory talks. I mean, it's the same as like a reactionary right separatist um who wants to build a compound in a way that wants to kind of be isolated or or check out. I mean, they they want the comforts of guns and other types of things like that, but this kind of weird, massive paranoia or distrust of all of these kind of things going on at once. That's nuts. I mean, I would just, to, uh, sorry, not to, not to jump in too much, but the, uh, the, um, I don't think that the horseshoe theory okay. stuff is real. Uh, <laughs> I think that's centrist propaganda <laughs> um, <laughs> because they want to discourage like real left movements from, sure, from sure. happening. No, that makes sense. Um, I will, I will yeah, say that I'm using can... it as a, as a shorthand for just simply that kind of, that's the way that somebody on the outside might perceive it is that these two things <laughs> share a lot of similarities, but yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Fuck horseshoe theory. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> there's different, uh, there's different like kind of axes that you can plot these things on. Like the meme? Oh, yeah. I mean, quite literally. Also, <laughs> yeah. The uh, the the political compass uh-huh. meme is um, is pretty influential and you know mildly mildly accurate. It's uh, it re- it certainly um, reduces <laughs> a lot, but um, it's. Uh, I mean, it is. It, I don't know. It's it's it seems to be quite uh, important for these communities to like get get kind of a, a coordinates of where they are. But um, to just maybe give a little bit of the kind of <laughs> this is sound, um, uh, a little bit maybe silly, but to give a little bit of the, the history of um, as, as they see it, the the agrarian stuff may sound a bit ridiculous to begin with, but there's uh, there is some quite good research and literature on it. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking of the work of uh, James C. Scott, who is a uh, professor at Yale in the political science department. Um, I believe uh, his work kind of studies um, non-state societies okay. going back um, to kind of the, the, the dawn of the first uh, uh, city-states and kind of agrarian sedentary settlements. And the, the kind of surprising history of, of those states is that the, these walled city-states were not built to keep the barbarians out, but were built to keep the laborers in. Like the village. So, um, M. Night Shyamalan's flawless film, The Village. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, kind of. Right. I mean, that that's maybe an, an interesting example of like the uh, like the secessionary mm. stuff. Like, um, you know, it's not really clear whether those guys are right or or left. Right. Um, well, I think though that I mean, in in this is important to note too is that I'm having fun learning about this, but at the same time, the 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 position of it is actually very attractive to me. I mean, obviously, you know, like you're saying these kind of um, is it James C. Scott? That's the the writer from you know, these these ideas about looking yeah. at the way that societies are structured and especially around you know i made a joke about oh they've read ishmael earlier but it's like i don't know man i read that and i was like oh fuck you know what i mean like i mean this is very attractive stuff i kind of in the book you have all of these memes which clearly are both very funny but part of the reason i think they're funny is because i'm just like ooh, that articulates something that i've been thinking <laughs> that I couldn't yeah. put my finger on before. And then it's kind of like, it gets really attractive. It's like, you know, um, I remember learning about Earth Liberation Front a long time ago when they were very active and just being like, fuck yeah. 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 You know, like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, And I get it, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm both entertained by and, and, uh, and it has an allure, I think, too. I, I'm certainly not. I hope if any um, if any young post-left type of people do listen to this, that you don't think I'm actually making fun of you because I I, I, I get it, you know? Yeah, I've been, uh, I mean, I was probably more uh, the kind of like Nick Zernicek, Alex Williams, left acceleration, uh, inventing the future type stuff was uh, really influential on me. And then... I think, I mean, maybe it was just like actually going to like, uh, <laughs> like meetings of labor organizers and realizing how absolutely outside of the conversation that kind of that stuff is. And that it's really kind of just like a, an interesting topic of discussion in the art world. Um, I've, I've green pilled myself <laughs> a little <laughs> bit, uh, in, in this research. I'm certainly, um, you know, I'm, I'm, they would probably call me a statist, uh, you know, I'm, I'm maybe more of a social Democrat, but, um, I'm certainly very sympathetic for their, to their tendency because there's really no one else who so thoroughly despises capitalism and undeserved hierarchies than these yeah, guys, Yeah, you know, it's, and it's, it's really, really inspiring. Um, well, if they're a younger generation to it, it's actually, it's a logical conclusion, um, to make because I think, you know, you and I are pretty close in the same age. I think I'm a little bit older than you, but I didn't live my entire life knowing that everything was fucked. You know, like that there was, right, I, right. there were very specific things that I believed kind of if you followed certain rules that you could, you know, I didn't think I was going to like ascend into a different class structure or something like that. But I, I did not think that it would be like precarious labor, you know, for the rest of my life or something. I thought it might be kind of like I might be able to retire when I was 70 or something, <laughs> you know, like yeah. at least there was yeah. kind of, <laughs> right. or I might like if I had a house, um, like a little house or something, maybe one day I could like give that to a kid, like to one of my children, you right. know, like just some kind of like right. something. And then I, though, if you're, I guess if you're like 15 or 16 right now, it's like, why the, f I mean, why, why think that any of this might work? Yeah. So. Yeah. There's definitely, there's like a shift of like, um, 
like millennials kind of, I think recently or after like of, of our age generally, um, realizing that they had kind of like declining, we're doing worse than our parents kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Declining prospects in the labor market. Um, you know, we had a certain idea of like, you know, markets are not good, but you know, there is maybe some small chance to achieve through it. And now it just seems, um, you know, if millennials have already internalized that, then, the Gen Z, like 15-year-old kids, are seeing the content they produce and their status updates. It's like, well, if you're 30 and it sucks <laughs> and you work your entire life in debt, yeah. like maybe I don't even want to do this in, in the yeah, first place. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I can, I can sympathize with totally, that. Totally, yeah. But I, I it should, just to, just to frame this, like um, I, I followed uh, – I think the the low estimate is like 500 to a thousand accounts. Like this, this just became my newsfeed for mm-hmm. years for to, watching this stuff. And so I, I feel pretty confident in saying that these kind of, um, the, the rise in certain tendencies of, uh, anarchist tendencies or in post left anti civ critiques, that those things were informed, informed by, the uh, external events in the news cycle at that time, mm-hmm. which were, I mean, qu- quite dramatic and, and really shaped, I think, the way that pretty much uh, everyone in the world uh, understood um, our, our global society. But uh, really, really was was very impactful for for this demographic because this was kind of maybe the first election cycle that they had seen uh, happen, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a surprise to us. And we notice that this this is maybe something different than what had happened before. This is the ground floor wow, to them. Yeah, like this yeah. is their idea of politics. So it seems like yeah, I, I can totally uh, empathize. Like yeah, why would we want any any part of this? Right. It's headed off a cliff. Yeah, like, or like a we don't we don't need to run the whole yeah, way off. We like, can stop here. Like returning to like, um, or like preaching politics of civility or like anything. Else. It's just like it. it, it I mean, what reference point would you have for that? If, yeah, if you came yeah, of age exactly. in the, in the last kind of like three or four years and that, that was your, your understanding of kind of the political process, why the fuck would you like what? Because I think that if you're that green when you come to it, and I don't say that in a pejorative sense, but I mean, if you're that green, I think you probably have a clear perspective of like, this isn't going to go back to anything else. Like, right. This is, this is like, uh what's the what's the meme it has to get worse before it gets worse or what that i saw that repeated in there a few times i mean it i understand the the thought process the mentality i mean it's it's really fascinating stuff and it's it's funny to think um about watching that unfold for that period of time and seeing these kind of ideologies take shape and change and you know i've joked on here before with different people about you know, just my circumstances of having some cool people in my life and things like that, you know, kind of made sure that I didn't ever, you know, go super, super edgelord, you know, like, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I probably was, you know, or I definitely was when I was younger, but it's, I, I've been fortunate to not, that didn't seem like the only route or something. So, I mean, kudos to, you know, if you could, if there's no reason to not go that route and instead you want to blow up SUVs, like, fuck yeah. I mean, good for you. Like, that's pretty, <laughs> of all the possible conclusions. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, it's, 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 it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, I'm still. You're uh, not ready to move yeah, to a no, cabin I'm, I'm in rural Wisconsin, Wisconsin no. yet? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I mean, ELF is, uh, uh, I mean, it's a terrible phrase, but on the right side of history or like uh, <laughs> the, the ethics, the ethics are, are pretty clear that like everything that ELF did, uh, it makes sense and is justified. But um, there are the kind of, um, just kind of like bring it back for a second to this, this narrative of um, a, a kind of the evolution of their political ideology. It never, it never stays, um, stays still for too long. It's kind of constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And so like the next, the next place that they go, there's kind of a few different divergent moves in this, this kind of loose, loose group that I'm following that, um, kind of in my assessment is the, 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 the broad new trend of the young left online after the election or after the primaries. Um, some of them become anti-natalists. Uh, there's kind of th th all this, this whole ideology is, is really kind of wrapped in, in nihilism at, at a number mm. of different points. Mm. But curiously enough, ELF is not too heavily discussed in these circles. It's before they were born, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is most of them, um, they, they weren't alive oh. when ELF was like really, uh, making headlines. And maybe probably it's a little bit demoralizing for the end of that story, yeah. uh, you know, that they don't want to align themselves with a group that uh, where, where the members ratted each other out. <laughs> another, yeah, I mean, I it's I, I can understand sure, that yeah. too. But there's a group that's active now, um, mostly based out of Mexico, that they follow and are quite enthusiastic and uh, seem to be um, maybe a little bit of, of kind of posting in hyperbole about, but, um, th there, there is a death toll attached to that specific eco-terrorist group. So that, that kind of is a, a very different, um, framework of considering the, the ethics of that activity and, and doesn't seem to be a real parallel of ELF, yeah, that, you know, it's like it hundreds of millions of dollars of property damage and, and not hurting a single individual is quite a different, uh, Quite, quite a different story. Is that story. ITS? Is that what the that group is? Yeah, yeah. There's um, so I mean the name of it is is in uh, uh, Spanish, obviously, but um, the the general Eng English translation is individuals tending towards the the wild. Okay. Um, and they, I think their last last activity that is, um, the details are quite spotty as to whether they were actually involved or just took credit mm. for it. That's uh, as recent as 2017. Um, and their, their images and memes of them are, um, uh, distributed, uh, quite frequently in these circles. Interesting, man. Yeah. That's, huh. I remember, um, that makes me think of somebody in Portland when I was living there. And I mean, this is, this has gotta be a while after this is after, uh, ELF was even, uh, in the news or anything, but I remember it was the Pacific Northwest. So there was always kind of, I feel like little murmurs that maybe, a cell was still active or something, you know, like whatever. And there was also animal liberation front. Um, uh, but I remember like somebody put up an ELF, like wheat paste right by PNCA, the college. Um, I, I, I was either a student or I was teaching there at the time. I can't remember how long ago it was, but it was a wheat paste up, um, you know, of like a, a suburban on fire and, you know, like high contrast black and white wheat paste or something. And somebody wrote on it, stop, blowing up cars and start killing cops you fucking pussies or something. Oh, <laughs> 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 <Wow>. <laughs> 
It was the coolest political call and response I've ever seen, like, you know, out on the street. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. made me believe in street art for four minutes <laughs> <It's like> a, <laughs> as a place for dialogue. Well, so you, uh, you know, the book, um, are people able to buy it or access it? Or what are you going to be doing with the the distribution of it? Uh, yeah, so there's a, it's like a, a two-part answer for that. So there is a um, 40 page um, heavily redacted abridged version that's available for free on my website um, to that and the, yeah the the book that probably around like 50 or 55 copies were sold is 108 pages and includes kind of a, a lot more discussion of the work and how the research of these various online groups from kind of all different ports um, points in the political spectrum. Um, has has informed the images and these kind of high res visualizations of the the kind of utopian worlds that they mm-hmm. describe. Um, what the kind of interesting development in the story is that uh, I guess this was in mid October. There was one copy of the book that was available at a bookstore in the East Village in New York, and someone from these groups went to the <laughs> store, uh, bought the book yes! <laughs> along, with <a> number, <laughs> along with a number of other, uh, really kind of like, um, heavy lifting intellectual left yeah, theory okay. texts. And, uh, he later scanned the book that evening and put it up on, uh, one of their, their chat servers. Wow. So since then, uh, <laughs> I've had a number of really, really fascinating conversations. Um, yeah, I mean some of the some of the comments you can of course imagine, but uh, uh, in conjunction with that, they're also like really really inspiring and very engaged, very intelligent young people that have uh, done a lot to kind of restore my faith in uh, the future of society <laughs> yeah. a bit. Um, yeah, but my my kind of my plan for or, or the idea of printing it was to kind of allow this thing to be somewhat of like a handbook for the art world. If maybe people are interested in these like online groups and interested in memes and or visual culture on the internet in general, but didn't know where to start. So this would be a way to kind of like walk people through it and, and, and let them understand what kind of activity was happening there. But I mean, now that the people featured in the book have the book, uh, it seems like there's a whole other chapter that now needs to be incorporated into it. And, um, you know, pieces of those conversations, a few interviews that I've now conducted with some of these members about what their objectives are, um, what, when did they get involved and why did they get involved in these things? Um, they also sent me, um, the, the census data from their server that shows the exact age breakdown. Um, really, truly, truly fascinating stuff. But eventually this would probably take me a couple of months to piece together, but I would do a kind of probably 150 page PDF that, um, has all of the kind of up to date info. Wow. So if, you, if you're interested to find the book, there's the free PDF in the meantime. Um, there's not physical copies to buy right now, but in the next couple of months, there'll be a long version made available. It's really great though, that, um, that they got in touch with you and wanted to, wanted to have a conversation about it. I mean, it's, I, I imagine that even though, you know, it's not that, it's not that the book, um, that the content of it is 
is celebratory or condemning in in either fashion it's pretty like i think it's a pretty fair survey of kind of like what this evolution is like but really kind of I hope so. really kind of yeah i mean i i walked away with it with um feeling feeling pretty ambivalent about them as a group because i i can certainly see you know i i feel very strongly kind of in two different directions about it like on uh, and and yet i can't even i don't know i i can't really articulate those it's like i said earlier there's there's a real allure to what they're kind of, you know, evangelizing, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I, you got me there, you know, like blow up SUVs, yeah. like, you know, burn down factories, whatever. All right. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. But then another part of me is like, fuck man, I just don't know if the timeline is going to work for me. You know, like I need to, <laughs> <laughs> but, but cool though, that they, that they wanted to engage. I mean, if if nothing else, that says quite a bit about. Um, I mean, I know it's only a section of the community, but that says something about them as like a, as kind of like you know welcoming welcoming you into the fold or kind of you know like being willing to dialogue is you know this kind of joke of like civility that we always hear you know like you got to be able to have a discourse with somebody and they're just like hey we'd like to have a discourse what the fuck like aren't you <laughs> yeah well i mean it hasn't it hasn't been uh very welcoming i should oh, okay. mention okay. that uh yeah yeah there's um there's been quite a bit of uh of fallout and also a lot of enthusiasm it's <laughs> mixed responses they're feeling ambivalent <laughs> uh, but i i mean i think i i could say that the kind of the general narrative in most of the media is that any of these online discussion groups are just dumb trolls that don't know what they're talking okay. about. And here I'm like on, on a daily basis, I'm seeing kids, you know, 12 to 17, the, the chat servers um, have a, you know, they drift a bit higher. Maybe it's like um, uh, the median age is like 17. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're doing real research and they're reading Deleuze, they're reading uh, Trotsky. Like I, I know this because I see pictures of their bookshelves, and they share the pages of what they're mm-hmm. reading and quotes. They have you know pretty extensive channels devoted to to PDFs. So for someone to kind of take them seriously and and show that they are having a kind of um, you know a not insignificant engagement with this content is maybe a bit. Um, I, I I think they might be happy to to hear it rather than being being maligned right. uh, in most of the stories. Yeah, or just compared to a bunch of Pepe kind of people or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. exactly. There's a, yeah, there's a spectrum of shit posting. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, well, cool. Well, I'll put a link to the book, uh, obviously, in the episode description and on the blog post for people so you can see the kind of truncated version um, that Josh has on his website. And if I'm remembering correctly, right there on the front page, I think it says, this is probably what you're looking for or something to that effect. So really easy to find. Um, yeah, that's uh, cool. Um, well, Joshua Citarella, man, thank you for uh, joining me here on the pod. It was a real pleasure to talk to you and get a bit of an education about this very complicated, very nuanced and convoluted, but uh, ultimately like incredibly interesting trajectory of where these different internet sects have gone in the last few years. Um, because, you know, I'll admit, you know, you kind of just think, like you said earlier, like uh, I, the easy way for me to think about it is just a reductive, like people are just trolling. And that's not necessarily the case. So Yeah, it's not, not always the case. The, the ones who remain are, um, you know, kind of convinced ideologues at this point. It's been a, it's been a long story and it's, it's changed a lot. And, I guess uh, just showing some of the source material can um, 
help to give the the rest of the world a little bit of a clue that's um, about what's going on. Yeah, but thank you, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to talk about this stuff. And if anyone is um, anyone wants to get in touch, uh, you know, all my my information is public. You just send me an email or a direct message. Uh, happy to talk cool. about it. Uh, Joshua, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Uh, and to everybody out there listening, we will catch you next week. Yeah!